following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We're going to turn to our uh, vision, and in a moment we'll hear from Ed. But we're going to hear uh, a reading, and uh, Ruth's going to bring it to us. So, Ruth, as you come up... We're going to turn to uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, it is on page 1041. Ruth is going to read to us from verses 1 to 24. Luke 10, 1 to 24. Ruth, thank you so much. Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him, to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, First say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal those there who are ill and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chosarin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. 
All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one who knows and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Brilliant, Ruth. Thank you so much. Now, um, do keep that uh, open in Luke chapter 10. And um, there is a handout coming out. We've had a bit of a malfunction with the, the printer uh, this morning. So there are not that many of them. There are about 40 of them. Uh, so maybe it's sort of one between two. Uh, those who particularly enjoy taking notes, grab hold of one. Uh, hopefully you can see one. And that gives a little outline of, of where we're going to be heading. So let me, let me pray as we, as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much that you speak to us through your word. Might your spirit be mightily at work now. Help us to see what Jesus has called us to do as your people. Thank you so much for the message that you have entrusted to us. And Lord, help us to hear it well now and to live it out in our lives. In his name we pray. Amen. Wonderful. Well, as we've been thinking about this weekend, we're, we're thinking about our, our vision and we're particularly spending time in this part of Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 10, uh, the sending out of the 72, really representing God's people going out on mission. And on Thursday evening, we were particularly looking at the first three verses there and seeing the two surprises that uh, Jesus speaks about uh, in a world that we can sometimes think is not interested or open to the Christian faith. Jesus actually says the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. That's not the problem. The problem, he says, is that the workers are few. That was the first surprise. The second surprise is we might think, Jesus having just said that, actually he would go straight away and say, right, get out there. But actually first he says to us, we need to pray. We need to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. At first we're to, we're to pray. And on Thursday evening, uh, we're encouraged to pray for five. Uh, we talked about praying for five, particularly with uh, the fortnight of mission in the spring of 2024 in mind, but actually with the whole of life in mind. Are there five people, maybe close friends, family, neighbours, uh, not so close friends, acquaintances, maybe uh, someone we come across in our life, uh, maybe a mum or dad at the school gate, a colleague, a boss, a, a friend at school, whatever it might be, uh, that we can be praying for. Maybe it's actually um, a, an organisation, a sports club, the whole road, uh, your whole workplace. Uh, five different people, organisations we can be praying for in the coming months and uh, to, to, to write them down and to bring them before the Lord. That was 
one of the encouragements we had on Thursday evening. And I think that's where Jesus wants to take us. He calls us to ask first, to pray first. Then he calls us, we saw, to trust, to trust in him. He is the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest field. But then finally we see Jesus does say, go, beginning of verse 3. He says, go. He does send us. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning and this evening. Uh, We're to go. Which I hope will be especially helpful. As often, when it comes to to reaching out with the Christian message, uh, sometimes we can be lacking in two things. Sometimes we can be lacking in confidence. And sometimes we can be lacking in joy. Lacking in confidence and joy. Uh, As we seek to share the good news of Jesus with others, it's easy to lack confidence. Uh, We can very easily feel like something of a minority in our world, uh, conscious how fewer and fewer people are willing to identify as Christians. You might well be familiar with the census figures. Uh, The last census, 2021, was down to 46% of people identified as Christians. That was down from 59% in 2011. It's just sort of falling off a cliff in our country. Another survey I saw said that only 6% of people in the UK would say that they're practicing Christians. 6% would say they're practicing Christians. Uh, we live, stating the obvious, but it's worth saying, we live in a highly secularized world. A highly secularized country, I should say specifically. On top of that, we might be very aware that uh, to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, that can often sound quite arrogant to people, and maybe even offensive. And we're probably very conscious of how the Christian sexual ethic, that perhaps once was seen as quaint, is now by many seen as dangerous. And all these things, they can lead us to question, is the Christian message, is the gospel, is it good? Is it true? Does it work? We need to find our confidence. It might be that you're not actually so much lacking confidence, but perhaps you lack joy in sharing your faith. It feels a bit like a burden, a bit like a duty. Maybe even thinking this weekend about sharing our faith is a bit, oh, no, I don't really want that. Uh, Maybe you've been left feeling actually really quite despondent about it all. Perhaps there have been real sadnesses, real disappointments in your life as you sought to share your faith and people you love have rejected it. Uh, it can be a real roller coaster, sharing our faith. There can be the highs as people respond well to Jesus. There can be the lows as people walk away. Uh, well, we're going to be thinking more about joy in the second part of this passage, and we'll be thinking about that this evening. So come back this evening at 5.15, or you can pick it up on our podcast as well. Um, uh, Jesus particularly addresses the issue of joy from verse 17 onwards. We're not going to do that so much this morning. This morning we're going to think about the question of confidence 
and the authority with which Jesus sends us out. Uh, Let me just tell you a little bit about the structure of this passage. Uh, Jesus sends out these 72 disciples on a mission, two by two. And then the way to think about this is it's like one of those sports documentaries. Do you like those sports documentaries which go behind the scenes? Uh, They don't actually show you the action itself. Uh, It's all sort of in the dressing room behind the scenes. And what we've got is exactly that happening here. We've got the sort of pre-match pep talk from Jesus in verses uh, uh, 3 to, well, 2 to 16. 2 to 16. That's a sort of pre-match before he sends them out. And then they go, there's nothing said about that, and then they come back and we have the post-match analysis from verses 17 to 24. And in the pre-match talk, we could headline that, uh, that the disciples, they're sent with authority. They're sent with authority. The headline of the post-match analysis, they return with joy. Sent with authority, return with joy. So this morning, let's think about the first of those. They're sent with authority. And it's easy to miss that. The 72, the church, us, we are sent by Jesus. He says, verse 3, go, I am sending you. That's a big thought. To be sent by someone here means that we represent that person. We go with their authority. It's like an ambassador. We are an ambassador. An an ambassador represents their authority nation. The closest I've come to meeting an ambassador was meeting the, uh, I think they're called the High Commissioner of Australia, very briefly. And it was funny, I remember meeting the High Commissioner of Australia, and you think, there's Australia. There is Australia, in a a person, representing Australia uh, to the UK. And a Christian is an ambassador. Paul picks up that language in 2 Corinthians. We're ambassadors, sent by Jesus, representing him. It's an incredibly dignified thing to be able to do. And Jesus explains what this means a little bit more in verse 16, a sort of conclusion of his pre-match pep talk. He says this, verse 16, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him, speaking of God who sent me. So do you see the weight of that? The authority that we have as Jesus' ambassadors. We represent Jesus. We represent God. Now, how are we to go about holding that authority? I guess we can see in our world today lots of ways in which authority is badly handled. We can be quite nervous around the whole idea of authority. Uh, often with good reason. So how is a Christian to hold the amazing authority that a Christian has sent by Jesus? Well, I think we begin to see that straight off in verse 3. We're to hold this authority with gentleness, gently. I think that's what we're getting at here. Uh, Jesus is getting at here in verse 3. Go, he says, I am sending you out like finish that and put 
put so many different things in there, couldn't he? Like lions going out. No, he says like lambs. Like lambs among wolves. Now, why, why use that term lambs? I think there is an element of, there's risk in this, like going out like a lamb in front of wolves. We have to remember, though, that we have a good shepherd who will protect us. Again, he speaks about that later on in the passage. But I think this is also something to do with the character of a Christian going out on mission. Not going out all guns blazing. Not going out to gobble people up. Uh, I don't know of any lambs that do that. Uh, Lambs are not renowned for their aggression. There's a gentleness there. And even in the face of wolves, even in the face of others who might not come back to us with gentleness, we're to be gentle and gracious and compassionate and kind, even if we're being ripped apart. That is the character with which we're to hold this authority. We're to go gently. We're also to go dependently. Uh, Verse 4, Jesus says this, do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Now, I don't know, what sort of packer are you? When you're going away uh, for a holiday or a weekend, I can see a few elbows going in, in people's ribs here. What sort of packer? Are you one of those who just piles it all in, who, um, whose greatest fear is being away and not having something that uh, you might need? Uh, I suspect there are a number of overpackers amongst us. Uh, The fear of running out, uh, packing in more clothes than you could possibly wear, even if you're away for about six months, Uh, more books than you could ever read, Uh, enough shoes to cover every eventuality. Any overpackers out there? I suspect there are are a few. Uh, You might read this then and think, wow, this is hard. Don't take anything with you. Take no money, Jesus says. No purse. Take no spare clothes, no spare shoes, no supplies at all. Because Jesus says they're to be dependent on him to provide for them. Uh, Verse 7, what are they to do? They're to stay in any home that welcomes them, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. I think the hint there is Jesus saying, that don't go from house to house searching for better conditions. Instead, where you're welcomed in, stay there and feed on what they give you. The Lord will provide. It's a reminder that this task, it is given by the Lord and we're to trust him. We're to trust him to provide for what we need as we go out with the good news of Jesus. Uh, more on that next week, as we actually have our Giving Sunday next week. So we could to go uh, gently, dependently, thirdly, urgently, urgently. Second half of verse 4, do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. I guess you know the experience, uh, when you've got to get somewhere fast, and then you bump into someone you know. Uh, that's quite difficult, isn't it? You've got it, but there's a certain way you just understand, or if someone 
is coming the other way, and you know them, but you know they're in a hurry. Uh, there's a certain sort of fixedness of uh, concentration, and uh, you let them go because you know they've got somewhere to go. And that is the sense here with Jesus. I think greetings particularly then would have been quite elaborate. And Jesus is saying, don't get involved in that. You've got an urgent task to do. You need to stay focused on that. You need to be gathering in the harvest. Uh, the other day, I was on, a few weeks back, on a farm during harvest time. And it was quite striking. It was a place of serious focus. The sun was shining, and the farmer was, this is it, we're getting this in. So the combines were going, the tractors were bringing back in all the grain, chucking it in the store. There was a real sense of focus uh, happening, uh, of urgency. Who knows what the weather was going to be like uh, the next day. There was not a moment to be lost. Uh, there I was. I'm not sure I was particularly helping uh, the situation. And so it is with the task that Jesus has given us. There's not a moment to be lost. This is harvest time. The weather, as it were, is set fair. This is the time for the gospel message, the invitation to go out into all the world. There is a sense of urgency, a sense of focus to it. So we're to go urgently. But what exactly is it that Jesus is calling them to do as they go, calling us to do as we go? And I think the answer to this is our next point. We're to go proclaiming the kingdom. Proclaiming the kingdom. Verse 9. Have a look at verse 9 with me. We read this. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Now the disciples there to proclaim the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, God's rule and reign is near. How so? Well, it literally was near there because Jesus is God's king. He is God's ruler. He was about to travel around these places. But it was near in another sense too. As the kingdom was about to be inaugurated, Jesus was heading towards his death and his resurrection. His death through which our debts are paid uh, through which sin is accounted for and through which evil is overcome and is a resurrection through which Jesus would be crowned king of all, defeating death and offering new life. That was the message Jesus' disciples were to proclaim. That is the message we are to proclaim. The message that as we turn to Jesus, as we put our trust in him, as we make him king of our lives, there is full forgiveness. Your debt has been paid. And as we put our trust in him, as we're united with him in faith, there is life, eternal life. And there is peace with God. And we can be known by him and know him and be part of of his family, and know the hope of heaven. That is the message that the 72 were sent out with. That is the message that we are sent out with. 
And it's to the hope, it's to the hope of the new creation that the healing, I think, points to here. As the kingdom comes close, Jesus gives these disciples the power to heal and to cast out demons in a way that gives a sort of dramatic taste of what God's kingdom, when fully experienced, will be like. Where death and evil are once and for all defeated. Now, I'm not sure we're given the same gifts in quite the same way in our time today, although some of these gifts are given, I think, to the church. But I think the broader point for us to see from here is that our actions are to match our words. Our actions, they're to point to the reality of the kingdom of God. This is the business of the church. It's what it means to be on mission that our words and our deeds match one another, that we proclaim the gospel to those around us, and that we do that in the context of a loving community. And when that happens, the kingdom of God comes close. When a church is proclaiming Jesus and living out the gospel, the kingdom of God comes close. And it's a very powerful thing. Now, whilst we've been thinking that all are invited to Jesus, that is the gospel invitation, all are invited, we see finally here that sometimes this invitation is accepted, but other times it is rejected. Yes, sometimes people accept God's king. We see that in verse 5. We read this, When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Uh, Here, there is the message of peace. It's accepted. And God's peace is remaining on those people. In other words, they know, this household, they know the peace that only the gospel can bring. A peace that speaks of right relationship with God. That is a cause of great joy. And we see this played out when when anyone turns to the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. We see that played out. Uh, Peace comes on a person. Uh, They are at peace with God. And it's a wonderful thing. But the reality is not all will respond in such a way. Just as some accept, others, we're told here, will reject. And if that's the case, such peace, if peace is rejected, then we're told here, it will return to you, Jesus says. And we see a little bit more of that going on here in verse 10. Look on to verse 10. When you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, "Even the dust of your town will, uh, even the dust of your town, we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this: the kingdom of God has come near." And there's a really striking picture there, isn't there? Shaking the dust off their feet. It's a sort of sign of separation between those who reject 
the message and those who deliver it. And Jesus says, look, some people will accept the message and others will reject it. We're to expect that. He he said a very similar thing elsewhere in Luke's Gospel, just before this actually, in the parable of the sower. The seed goes out, the word of God, the message of Jesus, it goes out. It is scattered all over the place, but it has varying results. You might remember there's a seed that falls on the path. And the message sort of goes in one ear, out the other. There's a seed that falls on, on rocky ground. The message is received with joy to start with, but then there are no roots. And as the sun comes out, heat comes out, it withers and dies. There's a seed that falls in the weeds and the thorns, representing someone who makes a sort of great start, but then the worries of life and the pleasures of life sort of choke the spiritual life that's growing. But then there is seed that falls in good soil, and there is great fruit. Jesus tells us to expect his word will be received differently by different people. And I think when we think about sharing our faith, that's just so helpful. That's so realistic. Yes, there will be rejection, but there will also be acceptance. Either way, actually the result, that's not our job. We can't control how people respond to the message. But we can scatter it. We can throw out the seed wherever we have opportunity. I was encouraged to read the latest Talking Jesus survey. Uh, This was done just last year. And in this, a survey done with over 4,000 people, it was a big survey, and it discovered that one in three non-Christians, after they've had a conversation with a Christian, they wanted to know more about Jesus. That's what the survey found. That's quite encouraging. Uh, If you have a conversation with somebody, it's suggesting here, uh, two out of three will say, thanks, but no thanks. One out of three said, yeah, do you know what? I'd like to know more about that. I wonder whether that's a bit of a surprise. That's really encouraging. Uh, There's a whole load of stuff in this survey. It's worth Googling, actually. Uh, Talking Jesus survey, 2022, and just reading through the report. It's a fascinating report. Uh, But they found in that survey that 36% of people are open to an experience or encounter with Jesus, of those who don't yet know Jesus. So that's really interesting. It means that actually perhaps there are a lot more people interested to hear more than sometimes we might think. But the truth is, as Jesus says, not everyone will. And some of these words, they're quite sobering, aren't they? Jesus doesn't mince his words here. To reject those who Jesus sends out and their message is actually it's to place yourself in a terrible position. Verse 12 shows us this. Have a look at verse 12. I tell you, Jesus says, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for, the, for, for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, would you be lifted to the heavens? No. You'll go down to Hades. 
It's very sobering, isn't it? It's serious stuff. Jesus picks out those towns who should know better, who have heard of him, places that he will visit. And he says their fate will be even worse than for other places, Sodom, Tyre, Sidon, places that were notorious in the Bible for rejecting God. The reality is to reject God's message is to pass up on heaven, Jesus says here in verse 15, and instead to face the reality of death and hell. To reject the message of God's people is to reject Jesus, the author of life, the saviour of the world. That is a really serious thing. Which is why our role has authority to it. Not because of who we are. We are very ordinary people. You can hear more about that this evening. Verse 21, Jesus makes that really clear. It's quite humbling what he says later on. But we have authority because of who we represent. And therefore we're to go with humble confidence. Gently, dependently, urgently, speaking about Jesus Christ with loving actions to match our words, knowing that some will accept and others will reject. And that is an encouragement to us here at St. Michael's as we long to be a church where we see every life following Jesus. We're not to be fearful, nor apathetic, nor naive, nor prayerless, but we're to go, sent by Jesus with his authority. And if you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour, can I encourage you? This is a brilliant place to be because I hope this is a place where you can't, don't just hear the message of Jesus Christ, but you see it lived out imperfectly. But this is a great place to learn more about him, to know that peace, that life, that forgiveness that is available in him. So do stay around, chat with me, chat with others around here as well. Well, we're going to uh, share the Lord's Supper in a few moments, and Simon's going to lead us uh, through that. Uh, It's a great opportunity for us to unite together in our dependence on the Lord. But let's just take a moment of of quiet first. I'll lead us in a prayer and then hand on to Simon. These words of Jesus, go, I am sending you. Father, it's an extraordinary truth that you want to use us to share the good news of your Son. Lord, help us to do that in a way that honours you. Gently, dependently, urgently, faithfully proclaiming the gospel. And encouraged to do so, whether people accept or reject. And Lord, for us ourselves, help us to start as people who come to this message 
and bow the knee to you as our Lord, our King, our Saviour. And as we share bread and wine now, might that encourage us to know this message is first for us to accept and then for us to take. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.